Rising action. Rising action. Right, we should be good to go. I believe so. I just want my phone call. What do we actually know? Rising action podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the Rising Action Podcast. It's me, Grayson. Here with me is my best buddy, Josh Johnson. Hello, Josh. Hello. Should I talk to you in baby voice? No, I just I'm just being energetic as, <laughs> as much as as much of energy that I can inject into this as possible. It's baby um, voice. But yeah, baby <laughs> voice. <laughs> I love that. How you been? I'm a fan. I'm doing good. It's it's been a great week. It's been relaxing. I ate a couple donuts before this. They were incredible. Um, Please don't sugar crash. No, man. No, I don't sugar crash. I'm I Superman. Do. I don't sugar crash. Okay. That's in my power deck. That's nice, man. I wish I could not do that, but like I do. I, that's why I have to. I mean, but it's also good because it avoid keeps me away from sugar. So I'm like, yeah, if I have this, I know I'm going to fall asleep. Listen, um, I'm to a point, and this is so random, but I'm to a point now where I'm like, I'm going to eat what I want. And then when I get fat, I'll be like, eh, I should probably trim it back. But right now, I'm not fat, so I'm like, F it. Everything. Get in my belly. Were it so easy. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, hope you're all doing great. Um, this week, we have a, a very particular episode, another one of those things that ties into... Uh, this class that I've been in, but I'll get into that just a second. First, let's get through all, all of our housekeeping stuff before I introduce it. And, and obviously, if you've already read the title, you know. But if you didn't read it, you just clicked on it. Well, we'll get into it in just a second. First and foremost, please follow us on wherever you're listening to this. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Please share it with your friends. And if you can possibly rate it, a good review, that'd be great. Uh, not all of the podcast streaming sources allow reviews, but... If they do, please do so. Um, and yeah, just spread it around, man. If you liked it, you like what you hear, like, and you think you got a friend that would enjoy it, go ahead and, and share the love. Spread um, the love. <laughs> you can also follow us at risingaction underscore on Instagram, and you can follow me at straightster8 on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And Josh, where can they follow you? I'm at... Uh Josh Johnson 98 with two N's on all the major important ones. So that is uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Don't look for me on Facebook. Yep. Because I'll say no. Don't. I don't have a Facebook. So if you look for me, you probably just find somebody completely different. I don't exist. Well, I exist, and I'll just Matumbo slap you into last week. (laughs) (laughs) Splendid. You can also check us out on the Comic Blast podcast, which... Both him and I are host on as well. That's more for your nerd stuff. So if you like the, if if you want to get more into the pop culture side of things, uh, go ahead and check that out. Uh, I'm sure if you listen to this, you'll probably enjoy that one as well. So let's get into the meat of the episode. We are talking about wait wait, wait. Stanley. Hold, hold it. Wait 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 wait. We need to do a little tease. I want you to do a hum a humming version of the theme song of the movie and and then we can be like surprise okay you want to do it right now 
Well, I don't remember it, so you're going to have to Okay, do it. I know it. I'm going to remember it's... it as soon as you start, and then I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, okay. I, but I, at the moment, I'm blanking. <laughs> okay. It's... Bum, 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 It's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah, if if you know, you know. Yeah. It plays three times throughout the movie, so, like, if you've seen it, like, it's probably ingrained in your mind. Yeah. Just like my professor's uh, spouse, who whenever she hears it, she she's the face of death himself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah, 2001: A Space Odyssey. Uh, if you've been consistently listening to the past, I don't know, four or five episodes, you'll know that I am in the middle of a class where we're discussing um, pieces of literature and watching their respective films. Um, and we are now on 2001 A Space Odyssey. And my professor absolutely adores this movie um, because he is somewhat of a intellectual, I would say. Um, take that as you will. And yeah, his uh, fun story, his wife actually hates this movie. And whenever it comes on, <laughs> she goes into the other room because she hates it so much. So she hears that music cue and she's out. Yeah. Um, and I find that hilarious. <laughs> and as soon as you told me that this was his favorite movie, I was not surprised in the slightest because I've also had this professor before for classes and it makes perfect sense. If you can... If you have seen or know about 2001 A Space Odyssey, and then you can imagine in your mind the quintessential fan of such a movie, the image you got is the professor. Yeah. He's bald, yeah, he is. and he kind of uh, has the temperament of a cranky old man, and mm-hmm. he likes the fact that he's smart. He's a He is a cynical intellectual yeah uh, i actually like him as a professor but he's sometimes hilarious. it can get annoying oh yeah he's great um very dry humor yep um but yeah i decided listen instead of writing a blog post which i'm supposed to do why don't i speak about it and then transcribe it and you know because we have some great discussions on here and i'm listening we've been doing this since april may yep i we spent a lot of time doing this in in our weeks trying to get this edited and and whatnot and coming up with ideas so i mean you know kill two birds with one stone although work smarter not not harder birds work smarter not harder exactly there you go yeah good job grammar yeah great at it um so josh give me like a little bit like you've told me that the last time you watched this movie was two years ago or so correct yeah it's been a while yeah and uh as soon as you said let's talk about 2001 a space odyssey i was like uh i knew this day was coming but i didn't know it was coming (laughs) so soon and (laughs) sigh um you know this movie it's so bizarre um oh yeah I saw this two-ish years ago, and in fact, when we had Seth on the podcast and we did a super episode about some of the most influential movies ever, we did talk briefly about 2001 A Space Odyssey, Um, but it's not a movie that I really wanted to see again, and honestly, I didn't watch it again to prep for this episode. I basically tried to remember what I remembered about it. And then I, uh, you know, watched a couple videos, read a couple articles, and then I was like, okay, I think I'm back up to speed now. Um, it's a very bizarre movie. It's quintessentially Stanley Kubrick. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think it <clears throat> like personifies in a movie like Kubrick's style and just all the things that he wants his movies to be is this movie. Um, I was telling Grayson beforehand, uh, before we started recording, kind of like how Kubrick uses symbolism, which is frankly what this whole movie is. This 2001 A Space Odyssey is a big old symbol. Uh, It's just jam-packed full of random symbolism. Um, Even though it kind of all comes together and makes sense, sort of, if if you can kind of make it make sense in your head. But uh, one thing I remember from The Shining was you know he he loves sticking easter eggs and everything or just having uh visual representations that mean something else um and we'll see that as we dive deeper into 2001 a space odyssey but one thing he did in the shining was when danny is about to go into the when it's the climactic scene when he's about to go into room what is it 257 or something like that um he's wearing a apollo is it Apollo 11 t-shirt or like a spaceship t-shirt or something? Um, I'm not sure. And I'm pretty sure the movie, I think it was something like the movie was produced by Studio 11. And so he's wearing a Studio 11 t-shirt with a spaceship on it. And it's a reference to Apollo 11, uh, something like that. Um, and he does a lot of smaller symbolic gestures and, and things like that in there. So he's like the Easter egg king. And so then you knowing that you get into 2001 a space odyssey and you realize oh everything is a symbol for something and the the part that makes this movie interesting the part that can make it enjoyable is if you can keep up i think yeah yeah i have to agree um this is one of those movies that which i will get into it will kind of get into the more larger sense of this that it has shaped film culture and the way films specific films are made in that not the way that they're technically made which we will also get into that but how they this movie is almost the definitive and original version of presenting the movie to you and letting you figure it out Mm -hmm. like it it's very it doesn't hold your hand um it relies on the audience being capable to perceive and understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a reason of why people either love this movie or hate this movie. I do not believe there is anywhere in between. in between. And I do think there is probably some in between. However, in my case, like I'll say, as I just watched this mm, five days ago, um, gosh, which it already feels like such a long time ago since I watched it <laughs> because this week is... And this year and this life has felt like non like endless. But um, <laughs> this movie, I I love for various reasons. I don't think it's like the greatest movie ever made. No, not a chance. And that's just and that's just strictly because of my own personal tastes. But even objectively speaking, I'm like I don't think this is the best movie ever made. Subjectively speaking, I love this movie because, first of all, it's uh, cinematography. It is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Correct. Even for a movie that has, in eight years, it will be 60 years old. Yeah. Um, it is objectively one of the most beautiful movies ever made. I'll give you that. Absolutely. Every day of the week. Um, it's incredibly well made. 
Um, and I do enjoy when movies don't exactly hold your hand, when there is a way to interpret things. Um, now, I don't necessarily agree with movies that present something to you that there's no way you can possibly understand. Like, there has to be some sort of loose railing mm-hmm. to kind of guide you, but there's a lot in this movie that it does that while also letting you be like, while trying to, you, you figure it out yeah. yourself. And can we, I really appreciate that. Can we dive into really quickly <clears throat> just how this movie looks and some of the the grandchildren of this film? Because I think in, you know, watching it originally and then like, getting back into, you know, watching some scenes and looking at some screen grabs and things like that. I really truly believe that movies like Ad Astra or Blade Runner 2049 would not look or exist remotely the same without 2001 A Space Odyssey. I think their whole color science and the the whole idea of how do we make things look the way they looked in those movies would never have happened without 2001 A Space Odyssey. The use of color contrast specifically, especially with Ad Astra. Like, I had seen Ad Astra just a couple months ago, and I watched it, and it never crossed my mind that it was extremely similar looking, or at least in style, to 2001 A Space Odyssey. And then today and yesterday, going back and watching some scenes back from 2001 A Space Odyssey, I was like, holy crap, this is so similar to Ad Astra in terms of how it looks. Um, the compositions are a little bit different in Ad Astra. They're a little bit more modern. Um, 2001 A Space Odyssey put huge emphasis on composition and um, centerism and and different things like that and shapes and form. But the, the colors specifically, there was so much red and orange and pastels and reds contrasted with blues and, and different things like that that you can see it and it's so profound and it's so unique and it's not just in environments it's on characters faces it's how you're lighting your subjects it's it's so um unique and it i think it shaped a lot of what sci-fi looks and feels like now right now in 2020 yeah absolutely uh i there's some shots in this movie that like i think specifically one of the most famous shots is of um i'm forgetting the main character's name um but he's sitting there at the the console of of one of the like the ships i believe he's in the pod and the red lighting is illuminating Mm -hmm. his helmet and his face Mm -hmm. and it's just like hadn't had never seeing this before that point i was just like oh yeah like that's just what it looks like and then i thought about it and i'm like wait this movie came out in 1968 Mm mm-hmm I don't think there was ever a movie before this to use this sort of color usage. Like it is truly ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah. There's movies that would use contrast like this movie, like similar concepts for contrast, but never contrast with color like this. Um, Mm. This is a first and, you know, it's not a one of a kind because there's been a lot of movies in modern sci-fi that have taken those concepts and applied it to their movies. But at the time it was a standalone first and only, um, not any, there was no other movie coming out in the sixties remotely close to the, um, 
the color and the vibrance of this movie. It's completely yeah. unique for its time. Yeah, uh, I that's just one of my favorite things about it because I am a sucker for like neon lighting and, yeah. and everything. Um, and I mean, people know that Blade Runner twenty forty nine is probably in my top three films of all time. Yeah, um, and it's just because like I really enjoy that kind of essence from from sci-fi um so yeah that's kind of like my little mini review of uh space odyssey but i want to get into and we've already started to dive into this a little bit that's kind of kind of transition into that the uh the technical achievement and and kind of just marvel of the film overall Mm -hmm. um we've already addressed kind of the the usage of the lighting and the cinematography um I really want to get into some of the, which disclaimer, I don't know every single way they made this, like the way they made this film to a T, like every single method for every single shot. Mm -hmm. I know a little bit from some videos and things that I've seen, but I know that, um, for some of the shots that they had to get, like, I mean, they were absolute geniuses when it came to getting some of these shots. Like you think of the shot of, um, them running in the hamster wheel or the mm-hmm. shot of when he's kind of going. So into how, like did, how did they do that? Speed. How'd they do the hamster wheel shot? Because I remember watching that back a couple of days ago and yeah. trying to figure out how they made it. I didn't know if they built a rig that was one of those perspective things where you couldn't see it based on where they placed the camera or if it was yeah. like a harness that they, you know, cut out in post or, or something like that. I could not figure out how they made that because it looked so it didn't quite look real, but it did, mm-hmm. you know, cause it looked like the way they were moving was almost kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. Like it was real, but it, it wasn't, it was almost like they CG did a little bit, but I'm sure they kind of did it in camera. I couldn't figure well, it out. They have no CG at this time. CG does not exist. This is 1968. Everything here is practical. Um, so I wish I could tell you, to be honest, I know for the hamster wheel shot, I think they were on some sort of like railing system that was kind of like following behind it. So like uh-huh. as the hamster wheel is turning, like it's like at that low angle shot and it's basically doing that. Yeah. One thing that I would love to know, um, and, and it blew my mind that they did this is when they're walking on different walls. Like there's a, there's a part where like, uh, one of the stewardesses is like walking yes. on one of the ships and she just gets up on the side of this wall and like starts walking. I was like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you know, we take that for granted now when, uh, you know, as in 2020, when this is so commonplace, like mm-hmm. we have um, wires and harnesses and even CG. Um, and yeah, a like lot you more see in advanced. Inception where they build whole hallways into a rig and it's like, here, let's make zero gravity look real, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so now it's like they did that back. Well, this movie, um, a little tidbit um, that I learned from my teacher, this movie took four years to develop. So they started developing this movie in 1964. Um and the monkey stuff was some of the last stuff they shot with like really? the opening and whatnot. With the monolith. So the yeah, so the the meat of this movie that they shot first was this stuff. So this was even even further back. Um and I told you before this, like 
uh, if this doesn't put it into more perspective, this movie came out and gave one of the most realistic depictions of space and space travel before, before Star Wars. We had, well, before Star Wars, but before we had ever even landed on the moon in real life. Yeah, that's crazy. That's insane. And that is such, like, how they made it hold up that well mm-hmm. and borderline predicted the future. Like, they, they predict the future and a lot of this stuff. Like, they show, and, and we talked about this in my class, they show how space travel, mm-hmm. kind of boring. Yeah. As it would be. You're traveling, traveling through a black void of nothing. You have to basically just sleep. Do re- routine maintenance, play chess games with Hal, yep, uh, and exercise. As long as Hal doesn't kill you, exactly, which <laughs> he does. But um, you know, uh, did, okay, I'm gonna create an illustration here. Did yep. you ever watch the movie 2012? I did. So essentially, the premise of 2012 was that it predicted the world would end in the year 2012, mm-hmm. and. Though the world is not completely ended, it's only half ended because of COVID, it's still here. And I know it was speculative, but this movie, 2001 A Space Odyssey, is so speculative and it landed. And it's such a huge risk. And I know this is not even like the point of the movie. I think you could argue this is just kind of like a side thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think Kubrick really cared too much about making space travel accurate because he didn't really know. He was just like, well, like, what would happen if fill in the blank? Um, but it did land, and it did kind of create this now somewhat accurate depiction of what space travel is like. And it, in that sense, it reminds you of movies like Interstellar, which was made with the knowledge of space travel and what black holes actually do and how they were able yeah. to create visually what that actual thing would look like um some of those achievements are it's it's, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good and i think there's a little bit of that in here um you know every squirrel gets an acorn kind of thing you know not not saying that there was no planning put into how can we make this look real but some of it was predictive science it was like well we think this but we don't really know yet and unless yeah. you go talk to NASA, you're not really going to figure that out. And I don't know if they did or didn't, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say they probably didn't go to NASA and be like, hey, can we get everything you've got on space travel? Because that just would not happen. Um, so there's yeah. a lot of predictiveness, predictions being made about what space travel would be like. And most of them are correct, which is really, really incredible. Um we what did we land on the moon in 1969? Uh, yes. So this movie was being shot probably two years before we put a man on the moon. Uh, in five to two years that that time frame. Yeah. yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I mean we had been in space, but not necessarily like on the actual moon, mm-hmm. um, which does play a part in the plot of the the movie. But I mean. That you can find a uh, a ton of documentaries and videos ex- them, of them explaining the production of this movie, and it's vastly interesting. Oh yeah, um, and one of the reasons why it's so dwelled upon in pop culture and in film culture today um, 
is, is just that entire reasoning right there that it's um, one of the coolest movies ever made in terms of how it was made. Like, you know, if, if this movie came out in 2020, it would be regarded as good. Yep. Like, but, you know... And had they done it all practically, it would have still been like ama- like amazing. But the thing is, is movies like this don't come out anymore in terms of of using strictly practical effects. Like it, we live in a computer generated world, <laughs> right? <laughs> like it's there's such a heavy dependence on that, and the fact that there was none of that, it was all camera tricks and all practical effects. Like that speaks volumes to me because I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. It's like, dude. They did that. Um, yeah, and, and they just, did it without um, A-list actors. Dude. They, there's, not, there's not a single actor in this movie that you would recognize. The leading man yeah. is Care Dullia, or Dulla. Or, yeah. I can't pronounce his name. K-E-I-R-D-U-L-L-E-A. He plays David Bowman, the main character. The only I movie... I just, I've been looking for the past few seconds... The mm-hmm. only movie he's made, other than Space Odyssey, that I've seen is Fahrenheit 451. And that's probably mm. due to the fact it came out like five years ago. But I've never heard of him. And yeah. if you scroll through the cast list of this movie, there's Gary Lockwood, which he's been in a couple things, um, but not much. Uh, you would not just like he, there's no household names. There's Douglas Rain, who is uh, Douglas Rain. I don't know who that is. Um, <laughs> so like, there's a lot of actors in this film that nobody knows, nor would you have ever heard of of them. So that is an achievement in and of itself. And I don't know exactly how this film performed at the box office. Um, Actually, no, that's not true. I'm pretty sure it made like 145 million on a 10 to 15 million budget or something like that. Yeah, it it was the budget was from anywhere from 10 and a half to 12 million. Okay. Um. Yeah, its box office was 146 million. Yeah. So massive um, success. I mean, overwhelmingly massive success. It made back over and bajillion. It made back a lot more than what it was made for big win and they did it without an a-list actor which just doesn't happen um i don't know how many people realize the pulling power of an a-lister um even indie movies now try and get one actor at least that people will recognize because if you're listening to our episode last week where we talk about movies that we like or movies that we will watch one of our criteria or i guess even two Mm -hmm. of them is recognition it's knowing who the director is or knowing who an actor is that you will um immediately be like okay this is going to be good because i know they're a great actor if you can make a movie that's going to make back 10 times its budget it normally does not happen without an actor that somebody knows now granted stanley kubrick directed it stanley kubrick produced it he was heavily involved in it and so there's a little bit of that. Like, people will go see a Kubrick movie. But, you know, even Christopher Nolan, if he made a movie with a bunch of people that nobody had ever heard of, I mean, that's a tougher sell than John David Washington or Leonardo DiCaprio or Matthew McConaughey. Like, yep. you need some pulling power at the box office, and there wasn't any of that. Yeah. Um, 
I will say, I think Douglas Rain, he was famous for doing some... He, he was the voice of Hal. He was famous for some, a couple other things, um, especially some TV shows. And even but, then, um, his body was not there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's really... I mean, no one. Um, and it doesn't really... It doesn't detract from the movie at all. Nope. In fact, I think it, it makes it even better. Um, I love when movies cast unknown actors. Um, uh, I think that adds, it, it brings new people into the limelight that deserve their shot and also um, just makes you think like, you're not like, oh, it's that guy from that movie. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this movie directly, uh, I, I, I want to acknowledge this because I am the Star Wars guy or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Um, <laughs> this movie is beloved by George Lucas as well. Uh, George Lucas has said that like, this is one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time. Um, and when he was questioned whether like, um, whether star Wars like reached that level. Um, let me see if I can find that's a, a direct tough, that's quote a tough himself. comparison to make. Yeah. Um, I, well, I think the main reason was for like, you know, because this is at a time when people thought Star Wars was sci-fi, and it's like, right. well, Star Wars is is space fantasy. That's it's like there's some sci-fi elements in there. Yep, but it's not straight sci-fi. Um, can I find the quote for this for 2001: Space Odyssey? I want to find this. Um, 2001: Space Odyssey also is inherently more intellectual, and Star Wars is a thousand percent more consumable. Yeah. Also, George uh, Lucas and Stanley Kubrick's approach to film are vastly worlds apart different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, oh, man. Let's see. And I think their their approach is also kind of like they play to what they do well. Um. Oh yeah. Kubrick. So here's the, here's the quote that I found. Stanley Kubrick made the ultimate science fiction movie, and it is going to be a very it is going to be very hard for someone to come along and make a better movie, as far as I'm concerned. On a technical level, Star Wars can be compared, but personally, I think that 2001 is far superior. George Lucas in 1977. So this is the year that Star Wars did come out. So even back then, I mean, I, I would say technically this movie definitely inspired George Lucas as well, because mm-hmm. I, I watched this and I'm like, oh, I can see some things that eventually will show up in Star Wars, like with the ship designs and the mm-hmm. cinematography and like and and um, the lighting and whatnot. Like I can see this. Um, yep. And, and which goes the show, like even further, it vastly influenced um, film culture and. I mean, I'd have to agree with George Lucas here that, like, yeah, in terms of science fiction movies, Stanley Kubrick made the ultimate science fiction movie because it literally is science fiction, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't take in on all these, like, whack... Like, it it really bases itself in reality as much as possible. Yeah. um, With... with with some weird visual imagery. Yep. um, And a whole lot of not sci-fi symbolism. Yeah, there's a whole lot of yeah, so that, intellectual arguments being made in this film that apply to us as people much more than the characters in the film itself. I think right, um, and that's kind of where I want to get into right now is um, kind of the 
I guess the nature of this film and how people feel about it, mm-hmm. both on the people who love it and the people who hate it. And so I presented this question here because um, I thought about it and I'm like, are there people who love this movie and there's people who hate this movie? And I honestly can see both sides, mm-hmm. even though I personally love it. Like I'm someone who can be either very intellectual when it comes to the movies that I like or very very base level where I'm like, I'm sorry, that was so stupid and how smart it tried to be, you know? Yeah. Um, usually I lean more to the intellectual side because I am, I would say I'm very open-minded because um, there's movies that I'm like, I, I know if I showed to my dad, for example, who he doesn't really like those, what he would say as like artsy fartsy movies, you know? Right. <laughs> that's, that's how he would describe it. Yep. I'm like, but for me, I'm like, oh no, I can see where this is at. And like, um, so this is the question that I presented. Um, does 2001 uh, A Space Odyssey deserve the praise it gets, or is it simply a pretentious movie that intellectuals cling to? Also, tying into that, um, is this movie, was it a good thing that this movie shaped film in regards to letting the audience figure it out? Um, There's two big parts to that. Right. Um, the first one, does it deserve the praise it gets or is it, um, this weird pretentious intellectual thing? And I think it's a little of both. Um, I'm going to take the cop out because I think that there's, there's truth in both of those arguments to be made. I think Mm -hmm. that there is some pretentiousness because it's Kubrick's flair I think his whole mythos is let me make something that's weird that you've got to figure it out. Um, Let me make something that comments on the world in a bizarre way. Let me make something that kind of takes you off guard, that gets under your skin a little bit. And this movie is definitely like that. Um, He made movies like Full Metal Jacket and The Shining. And they're not your run-of-the-mill movies for whichever respective genre they're in. Um, They're layered in symbols and character study and, you know, comments about the world. So is it intellectual? Yes, it's a movie about evolution. And it's a movie specifically about human evolution and where he sees humanity going in the future. And, you know, how are we going to interact with... Um, more advanced technology and how is where we're going going to shape the human um, experience and so yes there's a whole bunch of intellectual arguments being made in this movie Um, if you really really get into the weeds with it I mean it's it's so involved in that evolutionary idea that uh, like even the ships and the galaxies look like sperm cells um like everything comes down to reproducing and um and what that looks like the whole beginning scene with the apes is i mean it's on the nose a little bit about the dawn of man and like how once the apes come in contact with the monolith it gives them knowledge and they're suddenly able to dominate that their um their social theater and they're able to conquer other, um, other tribes of 
similar apes. But more than that, it directly draws the comparison between those apes and humanity. It's saying that humans are those apes until we come in contact with a higher uh, intellectual source. And in the case of this film, that source is the monolith that contains, it's the Pandora's box of information, of knowledge, of the propelling evolution forward. And so um, there's a, there's a whole lot of intellectual arguments being made. And so I can totally see how watching this movie, you might be like, what, what is the deal here? Like why make a movie that's got all this stuff going on? And I think that's part of what you're signing up for by watching this movie. It's part of what you're signing up for by being a fan or a casual and enjoyer of Stanley Kubrick's filmography. It's he's going to give you some layered symbolic arguments and you're going to have to sift through them and see what you agree with, what you even understand. Um, there's going to be a lot of questions that you're going to have and there's going to be a lot of Easter eggs and there's going to be a lot of interesting ideas being floated around. That's just kind of part of it. So yes, it is intellectual. It's artsy fartsy as your dad might say, but also it does deserve all the praise it gets because it's not just that. Um, it's the intellectual ideas layered with excellent film knowledge and, um, like we were talking about with the cinematography and the technical achievement of even just making it look the way it looks and creating um, looks in a movie that just didn't exist in 1968. Um, creating rigs for characters to do things that just wouldn't happen uh, outside of CGI now. Um, making some filmic advancements as well as... Um, you know, arguments for human advancement as well. So I think there's a little bit of both there. Um, I personally am not, if I were to throw in like how I feel about the whole thing, I don't love the movie, but I can see that it is a movie that should be seen by a whole lot of people if you want to call yourself a film junkie. Um, it definitely has its place and it's extremely important, but more than that, it's it it's deserves respect if for no other reason than it heavily influenced sci-fi as we know it. And I think if you're going to say this isn't a good movie, it's disingenuous to say this is a great movie, but to say Blade Runner 2049 is awesome because they are tied together. Um, there's a whole lot of what we know about film and what we're seeing now in modern sci-fi films that just wouldn't exist without this film. It's kind of like saying right. um, you love Game of Thrones, but you hate Lord of the Rings. Because Lord of the Rings has black and white characters and Game of Thrones has morally gray characters. And Lord of the Rings has a dark one and Game of Thrones doesn't. Like, yes, those things are all true. And there's arguments to be made that one might be technically better by modern standards than the other. But you can't really acknowledge the existence of one without acknowledging the existence of the other. And I think yeah. that plays into what we, how we should view 2001 A Space Odyssey because... If you were to watch modern films, you would realize, holy crap, there's fingerprints of Stanley Kubrick and Space Odyssey all over this. So mm -hmm. I think it's got its place, and I think it's extremely important. That doesn't necessarily mean it's incredibly enjoyable, 
because that's a whole separate thing and it's highly subjective and that's not necessarily the how should we think about this movie now. Um, yeah. And then there's the whole other element of what was what was the second part of that? Because there was a whole other question there that was even taking it a step further. So it, it's basically like kind of tying into the whole intellectual part of it. I noticed while watching it that it kind of was the first to the first movie to basically let the audience figure out what yeah. it was trying to say. Yeah. Um, I've seen movies again that come out now that I'm like. Oh, that was so weird. Like they really, you know, I referenced the, I think I tied the lighthouse a lot. Yep. Or that was a movie that's like, it's super weird. And I remember when we finished watching that movie, we were like trying to dissect everything and whatnot. And I'm like, I, maybe there, I'm sure there ha- were movies before space odyssey, but space odyssey was the movie that kind of brought it into the limelight mm-hmm. instead of being just a movie. It honestly like, and I don't mean this in a pretentious way to be ironic or anything, but that it feels more like a piece of art rather than it feels like an actual movie. Like yep. instead of trying to tell like a, like a narrative, it feels more like a, <laughs> it feels more like a poem or something like it. Like it's very, it's like the odyssey and, and, instead of a historical account. Right, which I mean, it's literally called right. a space odyssey. Yep. So maybe it's all in the title. Yep. Um, but I don't think that detracts from it in any case whatsoever because, and, and maybe I've been conditioned from modern movies that have done this. But when I finished watching it, I was like, well, I'm not like totally confused. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, I understand what like what is going on for the most part. Like I'm piecing these puzzles together because modern movies have allowed us to be able to do that. Like yep. um, we've just been able to see more movies that require more cognition. Um, I'm sure when people, when this movie came back out, it came out back in the day, people were like, what the heck? <laughs> like probably the most confusing part is the last like 20 minutes yeah. where he goes into this white room after like go, first of all, he goes into like this hyperspace light speed thing and you're like, what the heck is going on? And then he gets in this white room and he like sees the old version of himself. Mm-hmm. Then he is the old version of himself. Then he sees himself on his deathbed. Then he's on his deathbed. And he reaches and he's for the freaking... monolith on his deathbed. And there's the whole yeah. symbol there of like Adam touching God. And yeah. It, it, yeah. And then floating baby in space. Yep. And which I, I get that metaphor. I don't really get like the... Oh, I. I kind of understand what's going on in that last part where it's like, okay, he's reached these aliens or whatever. And he's kind of like at peace and he's like, but it, it, him as a person is almost showing like the cycle of humanity, Mm -hmm. but the baby in space represents like humanity, like leaving their cradle, for example, like Mm -hmm. getting off of earth and ascending to like a greater place. And that's what, and, and the baby though, I don't know if you noticed looks like, um, <laughs> it looks like Kier Duila's or uh, Dulia's likeness. Yeah, which is very strange. And, and I was like, "Yeah, interesting that they did that." Like, but and you're and people, I'm sure, like, had I saw this movie and had no prior experience with dealing movies that have really wacky interpretive meanings, I would watch that and be like that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Why is there a baby floating in his face? Like I probably would have laughed, Mm -hmm. but I knew it was coming and I knew ahead of time watching this movie, the nature of it and intrinsically that it was weird. Yeah. 
So I got, I was able to put myself in the mindset that like, okay, this is not going to be your typical movie. If you know nothing about it and you think, oh, space, space movie, space sci-fi, this will be fun. It's like, no, no, this is not Star Trek. This is not Star Wars. This is not your traditional sci-fi in any nope. uh, stretch of the imagination. This is very much something new and different, um, all while being excellent at the same time. Yeah. So kind of back to the question just on your side and your opinion on the whole thing like do you think it was a good thing that this movie kind of shaped uh audiences and conditioned audiences into letting them figure it out yeah because personally like i think i think yes yeah but it does have some drawbacks i guess (laughs) i think it's a great thing um i think that that is a skill that should be used with discretion um, I don't think every movie should be made where the audience is left trying to figure it out at the end. Absolutely not. But that being said, there's been some really fantastic movies that have done that. And we reference The Lighthouse because it's low-hanging fruit and it's fresh on our minds and we love it. Mm-hmm. That's an example of a movie not being fully understood and there being layers and layers of symbols. And it was a movie that I thoroughly enjoyed. Now, Space yes. Odyssey, I didn't, you know not necessarily for the same reasons, but it just wasn't quite my favorite thing on earth. Um, Mm -hmm. But the lighthouse was, and I don't know exactly why I loved the lighthouse and why I didn't necessarily love space odyssey. I don't know. That's a conversation for another day, but um, letting the audience figure it out, I think is a great weapon or a great tool in a filmmaker's toolbox because Sometimes when you want to explore theoretical thoughts and, um, you know, really get into some odd ideas that you have to package into symbols, sometimes you're going to have to, you know, make your statements veiled in subtext or veiled in symbolism or veiled in, you know, all these different methods of getting across your point that sometimes it just might not get completely understood. And I think that's okay. And I think having these conversations about, you know, what does that mean? How does that affect us? Where's that movie's place? I think they're also very important. But I would also not necessarily say that just because we don't understand a movie doesn't mean it's a bad movie. Because I think Space Odyssey, while I don't personally love it, is a fantastic movie. And I don't know that you can necessarily say that about every movie. I think that's a tough um, dissemination to make because, or a, or a tough separation to make because just because I don't enjoy it doesn't mean it's bad. You know, that's, that's an odd statement to make. And more often than not, I feel like if you don't enjoy a movie, you can more likely than not objectively say, eh, it wasn't the greatest. Because I think we all naturally have a palette for good and bad in film. But this isn't a movie that is good or bad. I think it is. there's objective truths about this movie that you can't take away from it. But there's also a whole other host of subjective truths that you kind of create yeah. for yourself while watching it. And that's where figuring it out later is really cool because each of our experiences with this movie shapes how we feel about those subjective truths. And then when we come together and talk about them, that's when you have cool fan theories and that's where you have um, 
a whole bunch of, well, did you catch this little bit? And did you ever see that? And holy crap, I never saw that when I watched it. How did you notice that? And what do you think it means? Those conversations are really, really cool. And it doesn't necessarily mean we need to do that with every movie, but the ones that do are memorable and they create an experience for the viewer, which is really awesome. Yeah, I love the moments when you get out of a movie like that and back again to the lighthouse because I think, like you said, it's fresh in our mind, even though this was almost a year ago. Um, I still remember getting in the car or walking out of the theater and we were just all spitballing our, like, mm-hmm what we were picking up and we were like, Oh, I never thought about that. Or I didn't pick up on that. And then someone else would bring something in there and they're like, Oh, maybe that's not right. Like, and we're all like cross referencing to try to boil it down to what we think it is. And it's like, well, it's almost impossible to figure it out unless the director flat out says like, this is what this means. But like, they almost never do. No, they always say either what I wanted to do or figure it out for yourself. And that's cool to me. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, obviously, I don't want, like you said, every movie to be like this. Sometimes I love a good John Wick movie where I get to go in there and it's like, I it there's nothing to figure out there. Right. It's just a man on a rampage. And that's cool, too. Yeah. Like, that's the beauty of, of film and, and movies right there. And storytelling in general is that there's so many different avenues and um, and versions of, of stories that it doesn't have to be this one-tracked um, version of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm very appreciative and I acknowledge the, um, the power that this movie has had over the past almost 60 years, I'd say, yeah. if, 52 years. Um, and while, yeah, I'll say that, like, I love this movie. I don't know if I'll ever, I mean, I probably, in my life, I probably will watch it again at some point in my life. I can't say, like, no, I'll never watch it again. I definitively know that because I don't. But it's not a movie that I, I yearn to, like, no. rewatch again for entertainment value. Like, if it ever came down to me, like, I wanted to write a paper on it or something or really just, like, get a deeper look at it, I'd watch it again. But like, I don't think it's one of those movies that's super entertaining. I think it's a movie that it's just like this spectacle and not in like a derivative dumb way. Like maybe a Transformers movie is a spectacle, like just trying to shove some, like you eat some popcorn down your throat and watch robots beat each other up. Like (laughs) that's an entirely different spectacle. This is a spectacle of like, it's a spectacle of intellectual thought. It feels like the movie version of a nature and science museum. It feels like they went in the, uh, the Smithsonian and a planetarium and they're like, we're going to make this into a movie. Night at the and museum meets planetarium. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, that's what it is. It's like, we've got space and like the, um, or the, uh, it's, um, what am I trying to say? The, not the Smithsonian, um, the, Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. It's like, that meets natural history, space odyssey. Yep. Like, and now, to be honest, that's cool, because it feels like you are watching, like, a timeline, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it feels like you're watching this weird time lapse with all of these different chapters segmented in it. It's just, like, it's just such a movie that you can analyze deeper and deeper and deeper, and, like, you'll never, ever get to the bottom. No. You... 
and that's okay because I think, and that's why this movie is just so acclaimed and widely regarded as one of the greatest movies of all time, or one of the, at least the most influential. I'd say sure. it's definitely within the top 50 movies of all time. Um, I would even go a step like, further. I don't know, like, if you're making your top whatever movies of all time list, I, it's separating its influence from it as a film, and and there's definitely something to be said for that. It, influentially, I mean, it is one of the most, I mean, easily one of the most influential movies ever made, just because of the advances it made in film, but also how it is the granddaddy of sci-fi, essentially. And mm-hmm. it's not just, oh, a couple of these movies kind of like take some techniques. It's like movies now are literally the exact same looking as Space Odyssey. I don't, yeah. that, that just doesn't necessarily happen. You see that in it's other things. Well like Lord up. of the Rings is the granddaddy of fantasy. You know, fantasy it just kind of adopted every trope that Tolkien came up with for a long time because they were like, frick, this is good. Space Odyssey yeah. did that with sci-fi movies. And yeah, especially more realistic sci-fi movies. Correct. Like when, it, when it's like, let's get as realistic as we possibly can with this science fiction yeah. story. Yeah. And, and it's, um, it's not just like, I mean, it's, it's how it looks, how it feels, how, you know, how we move through space. And some of that is the predictive science of it. It's how is it actually going to be? And a lot of that stuff landed and you blend that with the colors and the feel and the intellectual thoughts and the, the symbolism and the, you wrap it all together and you get granddaddy sci-fi, you know, yep. coming to sit on the couch and be like, let me tell you a story. And it's Space Odyssey. <laughs> what a beautiful way to put it. Um, dude, it's already been 53 minutes we've been talking about this. That's kind of wild. Man, this movie is so multi-layered. Um, yeah. yeah. I I have nothing else really to acknowledge. I think we have hit all of the major beats that I, would lo- that I wanted to hit with this. Um, is there anything else left that you can think of that you want to bring up before we close us on out not really i think that kind of wraps up our deepish dive into 2001 a space odyssey let us know on any of our social medias or wherever you want to find us if you agree with some of the stuff we're talking about um you know how do you feel about 2001 a space odyssey is it a movie that you love or do you hate it or do you even think it is objectively a super influential sci-fi film or is it just a big old gobble of hogwash from a creepy old guy in the 60s? Yeah, yeah. let us know because there's people that definitely think both sides of that are someplace in the middle. So, um, yeah, well said. With that being said, I'm going to go through all the stuff real quick. You can follow me at Straits the Eight, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Josh at Josh Johnson 98 with two N's. Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. You can also follow us at RisingAction underscore on Instagram. And you can also check him and I on Comic Blast, which is also another weekly podcast. Wherever you're listening to this to, just look up Comic Blast and you will find us there. Also, wherever you're listening, once again, please share with your friends, rate, review, subscribe. If you have not done those things, it helps us out a lot and we appreciate all the support we can possibly get. <sighs> Yeah, that's it. Goodbye. Um, Monkey.